Welcome to the KGB podcast. I'm Alan Kohler. In this episode, we're looking at one of the most remarkable corporate turnarounds in recent history. A decade ago, Coles was treading water as the supermarket chain consistently chalked up flat sales and lost ground to its key competitor, Woolworths. Then, West Farmers swept in with a $20 billion takeover offer and set about repairing the business. One of the early steps was an infusion of management talent from the UK, perhaps the most dynamic retail market in the world. New CEO Ian McLeod fixed up the stores, lowered prices and unveiled what has to be the most effective Australian marketing campaign of the millennium. Down, down, down. The result has been nothing short of spectacular, as Coles recently posted a higher quarterly sales growth at Woolworths for the 24th straight quarter. The huge gulf in performance between the two chains may even have forced the resignation of Woolies CEO and Chairman earlier this year. But it's not all rosy for Coles. The continued growth of German discount chain Aldi could herald a fresh price war and more pressures on margins. Aldi, along with Little, punched a big hole in the profitability of the UK's huge supermarket chains. Can it have a similarly devastating impact in Australia? To find out, myself and Stephen Bartholomew speak with Coles CEO John Durkin, a long-time UK retailer who joined the supermarket's turnaround team in 2008 and took over the top job last year. John Durkin, thanks for joining us. There's a lot of turmoil and disruption going on in your sector with Woolies, Woes and the like. But the really interesting one is the growth of Aldi and the sort of accelerated growth of Aldi that's occurring. In the UK, Aldi and Little have done enormous damage to the established grocers. I know you've got a view about what will happen here and what won't happen here. Could you ex um, explain it? Sure. Uh, so I, it's... Us versus, us versus the UK, as in Australia versus the UK, is... Uh, in terms of Aldi's performance or position in particular? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a different market in, in the sense that... Uh, uh, if you take the circumstances that happened in the UK with the rise of discounters, really driven by a few macro factors, so the GFC was one of them. The second was that all the big retailers opened space, so new store space at a rate of knots that, that we haven't seen in Australia. So they were opening stores at six, seven and eight thousand square metres. We wouldn't open a store that is more than three or three and a half thousand square metres. And the increase in space was happening with all of them with no population growth, so, so this was becoming a, uh, a condensed market. And the fact that there was no, there was no independent sector in reality. So uh, the market turned into a deflationary market, the, the economy turned into recession, uh, and the retailers opening a new space, you have to pay for that space somehow, and you pay for that space by effectively putting your prices up. So what we were seeing at the time was the major retailers putting their prices up, recession in, in the marketplace, and therefore the discounters, there was a huge headroom in, in the marketplace for uh, the hard discounters, as we would describe them, Aldi, Netto, Lidl, etc., to come in underneath them. What, what the, the Australian market looks different. So the Australian market has a huge um, uh, amount of independence. So not only the IGAs, but, you know, small mum and dad operations that are butchers and bakers and, and they're vibrant. These are, these are growing businesses, they're very strong. Uh, they're, they're very strong competition for us in terms of a market. So this is a much bigger sector than, than is in the UK. Um, the price differential between 
the us and the hard discounters is less than was in the UK. We've been bringing prices down for six years. They were putting them up. We've had uh, we've had a good strong economy in terms of growth. So the economy's in 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 a different place, uh, and therefore the, the the market is different. Now that doesn't mean that discounters won't succeed and flourish, flourish in Australia. I think they will, but I think the market structure is different. But at whose expense will they flourish? I mean, you've been growing both sales and market share, so they're obviously not impacting you adversely. Um, but Aldi has grown a lot, but Costco's in the market. So is it, is it Woolworths the suffering, or is it Metcash, or is it both? So we're seeing, we're seeing the, the market change in the fact that uh, there's definitely been an effect on the independence that I've talked about. Now, I can't measure the individual mum and, and dad stores, but I, we, we do see the, the, the IGAs, etc., and we've seen their results. Their results are published. You've seen the effect on those. I think Aldi have an effect on those. I think you've seen Woolworths results, and I think Aldi have had an effect on Woolworths. And of course, if they open in our neighbourhood, you know, there's a there's this fierce competition. These are these are a fierce competitive set. But why haven't they had a discernible impact on you? Well, it you know, as I said, we've been bringing the prices down now for six years. So the headroom in price isn't uh, isn't as big as as people think. And and of course, we offer we offer different things. We've been investing in service, so in store people. Uh, service. We, we last year uh, invested 170,000 hours of one-to-one training for our team members in store. Now this is extra butchers, bakers, greengrocers, our checkouts um, in terms of our customer service because you know customer service is, is what, 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 what's necessary for us in terms of a differentiated offer. We, we offer a range of services that, that discounters will, will never offer. I doubt that you'll ever see a scratch bakery in, a, in, in an Aldi. I doubt that you'll ever see it. I haven't seen it globally. Now, never say never. But these are important to our customers. They make us different. Our fresh food makes us different. Our customer service makes us different. So it's not just an investment in price. It's an investment in all the things that make the shopping experience for our consumers. And we've been doing that for seven years now. But you have been also, as you say, you've been bringing prices down. Coles, in fact, prices. and you've been driving the, the price reduction. Coles has been. So I just wonder, given Aldi's growth and, and your pricing strategy, whether you regard now Aldi as your main competitor or Woolworths, and, and do you see them differently in some way? Well, they're, they're different competitors. Yes, and which, which of them do you rank higher in terms of well, competitive strength against so, you? So we don't. The way, the way we look at our business is, is slightly different. So first and foremost, we, we concentrate on customers. It's the first thing that we do. And we've done that now for, since I've been here, which is nearly eight years, we've absolutely focused myopically on customers. How do we give them the right quality, the right prices, the right service? Um, and then, of course, we keep an eye on the marketplace. We keep an eye on our competitors, all of our competitors, Aldi, Woolworths, Costco, the independents. Uh, we keep an eye on absolutely everyone but we have our own strategy. We're very, very clear on, on what we're going to do in terms of lowering prices, investing in um, innovation and productivity to drive cost out of our business to reinvest back in service, lower prices, better quality fresh foods, reinvention of our stores. So, so to answer your question, it's first and foremost we concentrate on customers and then we worry about the competitors after that. One of the long-term problems for Coles has been the perception of the relationship it has with its suppliers. From cheap milk 
to ACCC charges of unconscionable conduct, the supermarket is regularly accused of foul play. Coles insists that it's helping Australian farmers, not hurting them, and often blames the media for seeking out dramatic narratives that don't exist. So I asked John about the way his company treats suppliers. Does Coles have a problem that needs addressing? It's very interesting that you talk about that myopic focus on customers because one, it seems to me one of Aldi's differentiators is that they focus on customers but they also very much focus on suppliers. And, and, in, and that, this question kind of comes in the context of the ACCC, that, that um, um, uh, unconscionable conduct uh, action that you faced and got pinged about um, for, uh, tr uh, for an orchestrated and organised campaign to, uh, against camp suppliers in some way. So I'm just wondering whether you've got a problem with suppliers that you need now to address, partly, partly because of the ACCC action, but also partly because of what Aldi's doing with its suppliers. So that was four years ago. So let's put this in context. That was four years ago that, that, that this uh, uh, issue occurred. We, uh, we said sorry to, to the suppliers that, that we did the wrong thing with. Uh, we paid our fine and we moved on. And in fact, that was way over a year ago. Uh, before that, we'd put in, way before that, we'd put in our own customer charter into the business. Jeff Kennett had become our independent arbitrator in terms of suppliers. So suppliers can ring up, and they do ring up Jeff, uh, and they do uh, uh, talk to him, and they, he does investigate any, any of these claims. And that's working pretty well. Um, is Jeff giving you a hard time? Well, that's his job. His job is to give us a hard time. His job is to make so sure we're doing the right thing. Well, if you know Jeff, he'll, yes. know he's, Jeff. Uh, he's a pretty independent and fiercely independent person and he, he knows the, the right thing to do. So absolutely, he's making sure we're doing the right thing. Now, we, we've moved a long way. Our, our growth with our suppliers over the, the last, uh, if I go back from 2011, has, has been enormous. And but does, and it mean find you, does it mean you've had to not focus quite so myopically on customers and price and to actually start to focus on suppliers in a way that you haven't done before? No, not, not at all. I mean, culturally? No, no, not at all. So, so as I said, this goes back to 2011 uh, and a relatively small amount of, of, of supplier issues in the whole context of our supplier interactions. Relatively small. So over the period of time, we've, we've focused on, on our suppliers and our supply base, actually, because the only way we can, we can absolutely get the quality of products that, that we need and our customers want and the, and the lower prices is by ha having the right supply base. We have to have the right supply base. And we've got longer-term arrangements with more people than we've ever had. I've only got to mention Murray Goulburn 10-year agreement. I've only got to mention our meat business that we've been dealing with people for 14, 50 years that we have long-term arrangements with. Um, I've only got to mention the fact that we signed a 10-year agreement with Sundrop Farms for tomatoes in a place that has no arable land, no arable land in Port Augusta, relies on solar and seawater. And we talk about supplier relationships. This is an amazing story of a great supplier relationship that we're, we're about to build, actually, that will give uh, workers the ability to work in a place they wouldn't have done before will give low, low cost tomatoes, therefore low prices to, to customers, all with zero emissions. We talk about innovation and productivity, this is it. But in terms of, in terms of this supplies... This is uh, Colbert Cravers Roberts, this is a fantastic business. Well, we the, know about but no, that. this is Sundrop Farms, a family owned business. Yeah. 
Haven't they're they're only Haven't they got KKR money? Only, only backed by, by KKR, but the business is owned by a family business. So it's, 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 a, it's a great business. This is one we should be very proud of as a nation, actually, because it's a world first. They're choosing Australia first. They could choose anywhere else in the world. They could have chosen the Middle East. Just as sunny in the Middle East as it is in Port Augusta. Anyway, back to the, to the question of, of suppliers. We absolutely, we absolutely know that we've got to have the right supply base. Our mango supplier this year, that we've been doing business now for the last five years, who just won the Telstra Businesswoman of the Year Award, who's been our mango supplier, who we've helped and supported, and she's helped and supported us, will give us over 30% of our mangoes this year from one farm. We couldn't have done that five years ago without a long-term relationship, without investment, without doing the right things. So we're absolutely in the space to do that. But if you don't focus on customers, none of this matters. Getting the customer proposition right is, is key to us. Those contracts that you've referred to, and there are a number of them, long-term contracts, they're a kind of a, a, a virtual, vertical integration of your su supply base with your business. Um, we've had those controversies very recently about um, baby formula and the shortage of supply because of the demand from outside Australia and China. If China's demand for Australian food products continues to grow, what sort of pressure does it put on your, your access to supply? And we're going to see more of these sort of long-term contracts to secure your supply base. So we've been, we've been moving to longer-term contracts now for seven or eight years. Um, and as I said, we've been dealing with many of these, these family-owned businesses for, for decades. But it, we're definitely moving to longer-term contracts for lots of reasons. One, security of supply, to make sure we do have the right supply for Australian consumers. So milk, beef, fruit and veg, others. Um, and we're, we're doing that for, for, as I said, one, for security of supply. But two, it allows the suppliers to invest behind their, their facilities, which gives us better productivity, better efficiency, lower cost product, higher quality, and it allows these companies to, to, to add technology to their business. The Murray Goldburn ones are a really interesting one. The state of the art, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time. The, the milk plants they've got here in Victoria and New South Wales are state of the art uh, facilities that are amazing, amazingly efficient that produce high quality milk. So you are gonna see more of this. Um, we believe in it because we actually think that you know, we're, we're an important part of the food supply chain in Australia and we can make a difference. We can be a positive force for change in terms of the whole of the food industry. Now, we don't want to overplay our part in that, but we absolutely believe that we can, we can do that if we invest either in direct investment or in tenure behind long-term contracts with, with some of the, the players in Australia. I mentioned mangoes. There's no doubt Australia could export its mangoes. No, but it needs a vibrant domestic, all of these needs a vibrant domestic industry that's highly productive to be able to do that. People aren't going to buy expensive products from Australia just because they're Australian. They're not going to do that. Do those arrangements also support the private label strategies? You, you and Woolworths have been driving quite heavily into private label. I'm, I'd like to have a better understanding of the philosophy there and what the, the, sort of the, the, the appropriate mix of private versus branded product might be. But, but do those relationships support the private label strategies? Broadly, so, so most of the work that we're doing with these, these fresh supply chains are really to support um, Coles brand, if you want to call it Coles brand. Now, you, you can describe fruit and veg as Coles brand or not, 
Um, we don't actually label it Coles brand in the main, it just it comes in with the, the su supplier's um, sticker on it. But, but does it support the strategy of, of high quality, low priced goods for our consumers? Absolutely it, it does. And our, our growth in, in own brand, and broadly 75% of all we sell is proprietary goods, roughly 75% of everything we sell. So 25% um, comes from own brand, roughly, roughly. Now it's gone up a point or a point and a half in my five years. So it's not demonstrably changed in, in terms of that. Um, and we, our job, if I go back to the previous question, is to give choice to customers. Customers will tell you whether you've got the right products or not on the shelves, whether they're an own brand or they're a proprietary brand. They just will tell you. What I, what I can assure you, though, is if proprietary prices, inflation rises, keep going up in terms of cost prices, it allows much more headroom for uh, own brand to fit in underneath. That's what it does do, and it provides customers with choice. And we will give them that choice. We are not going to take away proprietary products at the expense of own brand. We will give customers the choice, and they can make the decision on whether a product sells or it doesn't sell. And that, that, that those home brands, are they a margin strategy, margin-driven strategy, or are they a defensive strategy or both? Because I assume they do provide defence against the oldies of the world. They're, they're a customer-driven strategy. So, so customers, so we do, we do a thing in Coles where we do a $150 shopping basket. Um, so why do we choose $150? So this is where a family on a low income that's the maximum they can spend in a week. Family of four, low income, $150. So I've done it, all of, the, all of the senior execs and quite a wide group of people and anyone new coming into our business does a 150 shop with a real shopper. They get a shopping list and they've got to go buy it and understand what it costs to, to spend on $150. If proprietary prices keep going up, our job is to make sure that we can make it affordable for families to do their shopping, first and foremost. And own brand does a way of doing that. We don't have huge advertising spend that goes with these products. We don't have huge R&D that expenditure goes with these products. They're high quality commodity products in the main that, that we're, we're producing and bring into the marketplace. And of course, they're substantially cheaper. But it goes back to choice. Customers can make the choice thing by the proprietary. We're not asking them to, to, to not do that. We don't take products off the shelf and stop them doing it. Now, does it provide a platform for us to then compete with with discounters, of course. If we've got a high quality, low cost product, then it allows us to compete with, with, with discounters. But again, customers can make that choice. They can say, well, is this product good enough? And you know, we live and die by that every day. Every single day, customers make that choice. Do, do, you, do you actually price match your home brand products against the discounters? So uh, the Coles brand, uh, we, we take a position in terms of uh, versus the, the products on shelf in terms of the brands and we compare with all of the competitors in the market price place and then decide what we're going to price it at. Of course we've got to be competitive, that's our job. So we, we review, we review 13,000 prices every week by state. So every state, 13,000 prices, we do a price check on. And then how do you respond, what do you do, what do you do well, in response we, we, to that? We look at a basket measure for, for consumers. Consumers can't actually don't remember the price of more than five or six items. What they do remember is how much they paid every week. How much did I spend on my shopping every week? Broadly, families know what they're, they're buying on a weekly basis. And that's what we look at is the whole basket. 
and we, we, we just don't take... So when, when we see these reports that someone's taken a basket of 10 loaves of goods, it's not really relevant because that's not how, not how customers shop. We know how they shop. We see 20 million transactions a week in our, in our business. So we get a good handle on how customers shop. And of course, then we look at our price checks to make sure that we're competitive. And we're not going to be uncompetitive. We're absolutely going to be competitive. As I mentioned in my introduction, Coles was in pretty bad shape when the business was bought by Wes Farmers in 2008. To finish this interview, we look at the financial health of the supermarket chain today and how Wes Farmers is investing in Coles in 2015. So, so what's happened to um, Coles's margin, gross margin, under your leadership? Well, you can see what's happened to our EBIT margin. It's published. Yeah, that's right. So tell us what it is. I, I mean, well, it's just, uh, I our, our EBIT margin's gone up over seven years. Right. And did you, um, did you And our prices that? have come down. So our prices have come down and our margin's gone up. Right. So is that something you set out to do? When West Farmers bought the business, the, their mandate was to improve the returns to shareholders. Um, and, and we've done that over the last seven years. We t we've turned the business around and it's back on a, a solid footing. Um, now we, we did that by, by changing the velocity of our business. So more customers, higher baskets, more transactions fractionalises all of your costs. So we're, we were able to fractionalise our costs by investing in our supply chains. So we've, we've spent nearly a billion a year in terms of capital on our business since West Farmers bought the business. A billion dollars every year in changing the efficiency and productivity of our business and reinventing ourselves in terms of our store formats. Hmm. How much of that has gone on um, changing the stores? Um, uh, so, so that, maybe it's gone on changing. Has the that rollout changed at all? Um, have you slowed that down or speeded it up? No, no, we're, we're roughly, spending, roughly spending the same amount as we, we spent uh, every year. We're spending it in a different way. Um, How, in what way different? So we're still spending on the stores in the way that, that, that we were. But of course, we've, we've, as we've gone along, in, in the early days, we were fixing the basics. Stuff that hadn't been spent. You know, our tills, in our first year, 50% of our checkouts, if we hadn't repaired them, wouldn't have worked. 50%. Um, you couldn't change a light bulb in Coles back in 2008, you weren't allowed to. You had to wait for something like 40, I think was the number, you had to get 40 light bulbs out of the store before you could get someone to come and change them. There was a raft of these things that we had to fix in the first couple of years. Maintenance spend, as we described, ch uh, chill chilled fridges were breaking down all over the place. So we changed that completely and reinvested back in fixing all of those things for customers. Just the basics. Of course, we've changed over the period of time to, to, to get into more growth capital. So a good example is we're changing our point of sale system at the moment in Coles. So all of the, it will be invisible to customers, but all of the checkouts that you see, the technology is changing behind them. Now it's our biggest change. It's our biggest capital spend on one item we've ever done in our history in changing our point of sales. It'll make it quicker for customers, quicker for our team members, uh, more intuitive for our team members and therefore more efficient for our business. In, in what way is what you're doing there uh, future-proofing that? Because clearly um, point of sale and payments technology is changing rapidly. Is there something you put, you're doing to, to prepare for that? Well, we're keeping up to speed with what's going on in, in the marketplace. So, you know, with our small financial services business, we've got a good handle on, on what's changing in terms of payment. You can already pay using the Coles credit card on, on the back of your phone. Um, so we're keeping up with, with that. Our point of sale system is about, is about making us efficient for the future and making it quicker for customers to get through our checkouts because one of the things we do know that customers value is 
how long they spend in the store. The more efficient we can make that for them, the better they feel about the store that they're in. And this is just one way of doing that. Now, it's a huge capital investment that will undoubtedly make us more efficient, allow us to take all of those savings and put them back into service quality and price. I mean, you know, it's a never-ending story in terms of what we do with the money. We never drop it to the bottom line. We reinvest it back in customers. Thanks very much, John. Thank you, John. Pleasure. Thanks again to John for his time. I think we covered a lot of interesting ground in that interview. As always, you can find all episodes of this podcast on iTunes and on our SoundCloud page. We'll be back soon with another interview. Until then, thanks for listening.